Well, good morning, family. Thank you so much for being here today. So glad you can hear me. That's what happens when you don't turn your microphone on. Uh, not the tech team's fault, all my fault. And so I owe them coffee after this, except um, decaf coffee. Anyway, um, the, the point is, thank you so much for being here today. My name is Xavier. I get the absolute privilege of serving as the campus pastor at our Missouri City campus. Speaking of which, if you're joining us online from our Missouri City campus, Richmond Rosenberg campus, or from the comfort of your own living room, as long as you're not in your pajamas, thank you so much for being here. I'm joking. Uh, we just want to say thank you so much for being here today. If you're in the room or if you're sitting next to somebody, can you do me a favor and give them a compliment for me? Just tell them that you like their shirt this morning. Just tell them, hey, I, I like your shirt. That's from me to them. If you don't like it, tell them Pastor Xavier likes it. If they don't have a shirt, if you wouldn't mind kindly asking them to leave, that would be great. You'll save us a little bit of work and awkwardness. That would be greatly appreciated. Thank you for your contribution to the kingdom. Uh, we've been in this sermon series, and, and I get an opportunity uh, to continue the conversation today around this idea of power living. But first, uh, a quick thing about me. I'll tell you, I absolutely hate feeling like I've been set up to fail. I hate feeling like I've been put in a lose-lose situation. I hate being tested. I hate being like, oh, you know, even like not only standardized tests, but I also hate like those random tests that like people give you to test your character or morality. I hate all of those things. For example, you hate them too, and you fail them all the time. You just don't realize you're put in a lose-lose situation. Let me prove it to you. Uh, the most recent job you accepted, if you could think back to that, they probably asked you on day one, hey, did you read your entire employee handbook to which you answer yes and you lied you didn't read your whole employee handbook you were set up to fail they gave you a task that they knew was almost impossible and you failed as a matter of fact when I was in college we had some some courses that were very intense on reading and one particular course I remember uh, we had two tests and the entire test 70% of it was built on the first question and the first question was this did you you read all assigned reading in its entirety. And mind you, the book they gave me was over a thousand pages for one course. And so then I'm forced to wrestle in that moment. Do I tell the truth or do I pass the class? And I feel like it's a lose-lose situation because I could tell the truth and be right with God and then repay to retake this class over again, or I can be unright with God and pass the class. And so it, you get the point. I just hate being felt, felt, feeling like I'm being tested or set up in like lose-lose situations. Maybe this has happened to you. You've been sitting down at dinner with your wife uh, or your fiance or boyfriend or girlfriend and somebody brings up the idea of anniversaries and, and your wife says, huh, this is for the fellas just talking to you right now. And your wife says, huh, baby, I, I can't seem to remember our anniversary. Do you remember when it is? I, I just, it keeps slipping me. And what you want to say, you want to step outside of yourself and you say, you know when it is. You basically have that date tattooed on your arm, but you're testing me in this moment. And I feel like I'm going to fail the test no matter what I say. Maybe this has happened to you. I have an eight month old right now. So what could happen is, you know, my wife will ask me, we just started taking them to daycare. And so pray for us because you know, our hearts are broken. But, but my wife asked me recently, hey, did you, Eli's my son, did you tell Eli's teacher what I asked you to tell him? Now, this is a double test because the first test is, were you listening to me and can you recount what I told you in the first place? 
And part two of the test is, did you then communicate that to his teacher? And this is not like 50% and pat on the back. This is like pass, fail. And if you fail, it most definitely will result in a lecture. And so anybody's wife like that in the room? Yeah, mine either, mine either, mine either. I, yeah, I set you up, I'm sorry. If you just raised your hand, we offer marital counseling if you just email me, mc at sugarcreek.net. Yeah, my wife doesn't do any of that stuff either. But the point is that I don't like being, I don't like feeling like I've been given an impossible task and like somebody is giving me an assignment just to see if I'll fail and thinking that I'll fail in the first place. And my question for you is this, have you ever felt that way about God? Have you ever read a scripture in the Bible and gone, God, you can't possibly expect me to live like this. God, you know my personality. God, you know what I struggle with. And, and, and you cannot possibly expect that I'm going to be able to live at that standard. God, you know that I have anger issues and you know when people say something out of the way to me that I just have to tell what's on my mind. I tell it like it is. That's who I am. God, you cannot possibly expect me to hold my tongue when people around me are clearly being ridiculous. God, you are, you are setting me up to fail. God, I'm, I'm doing all that I can and, and I'm trying to live right and treat people right and all those things. But now, that, now you're telling me that before I choose who I'm going to spend the rest of my life with, you don't want me to at least live with them for a little while so I can figure this thing out. God, you cannot possibly expect me to live like that. God, you know that life is, is really, really difficult right now. I got a lot of stress and a lot of anxiety going on. And so, God, the, the marijuana and the alcohol, I'm not like addicted to it. I'm not really dependent on it. But you can't tell me I can't have a little bit just to take the edge off. And if you and I were to be honest with ourselves, now, and I just hadn't said your sin yet. I just hadn't said your struggle yet. But the truth is that if you go through your life, there are moments where you and I read a scripture and things that the Lord wants us to be obedient to. We go, God, you cannot possibly expect. And then we hear Jesus talking. Jesus says, hey, I want you to be holy just as I am holy. And you say, Jesus, you cannot possibly expect that I could live up to that standard. You, you cannot possibly expect. And what it starts to feel like is that the Lord is just taking things away from me. Because if you will be honest, there are sin struggles that you have that feel good to you, that you enjoy. It's quiet because you're not honest. You failed the test. Um, but no, it's okay. You don't have to tell me. But the truth is that you have sins that you enjoy. And in those moments, it can feel like the Bible is a bunch of rules and that the Lord is asking for obedience because he just wants to take stuff away from us. God, you want me to stop doing this? Stop doing this. You want me to start sacrificing this, giving up this and all of those things. And it can feel like that God wants our obedience because he's trying to take stuff away from us. But I've been on this journey and I'm hoping that you'll go on this journey with me of changing the way that I actually see obedience. And how would you feel if I told you that when the Lord is asking for your obedience, it's not really because the Lord wants or needs anything from you, but it's actually quite the contrary. It's that the Lord wants to give or add or build something into you and into me. In 1 Samuel chapter 15, verse number 22, we hear Samuel say something that I think reaffirms this. He asked this question, what is more pleasing to the Lord, your burnt offerings and sacrifices or your obedience to his voice? It says obedience is, listen to this, better than sacrifice and submission is better than offering the fat of rams. 
And so here's what I want you to understand, that, that if obedience is better than sacrifice, then obedience cannot be equal to sacrifice. Which, meaning, which means that when the Lord is asking for my obedience, he is not asking me to give something up. At worst, he is asking me to exchange for something better because obedience is better than sacrifice. And here's what I want you to know. When the Lord is giving you this standard of living, when the Lord is telling you how he wants you to live, when he's telling you how he wants you to behave, when you read these scriptures about changing your attitude or your mindset or whatever it is, here's what God is doing. God uses your obedience to build you. God uses your obedience to build you. Your obedience does nothing for God. God is no more or less God when you obey or disobey. God is no more or less righteous when you obey or disobey. He is no more or less strong when you obey or disobey. He is no more or less glorious, no more or less powerful than more or less powerful than when you obey or disobey. So your obedience must be, it must be for you. Unless, of course, you think God has an ego and he just needs you to obey him so that he feels better about himself. And I'm here to submit to you that that's not the case. So I have to believe and you have to believe that obedience is about God trying to add something to us. And here's your next fill in the blank. Every test is an opportunity to be built. Every test is an opportunity to be built. So we're talking about this idea of power living, and this is where the power in obedience lies. The power in obedience lies in the fact that you and I change the way we think about obedience to God from something that we have to bare knuckle down and God is sitting in heaven tapping his foot, wondering when you'll mess up so that he can smite you down, and more so seeing God giving us an opportunity to build something in our life and for him to build more into us. And somebody's reading the notes and they're saying, hey, Pastor Xavier, the Bible says that God doesn't test people, in which I would say the language is important, and that's not necessarily what the Bible says. The Bible says that God does not tempt people. And the difference between a temptation and a test is the desired outcome from the person giving it. See, Satan would tempt you with sin because he desires that you will fall. But God will give you an opportunity to make a decision that honors him so that he can build you into what he needs to build you into. And so God gives us these tests sometimes and these situations sometimes and these things that show up in our life sometimes because ultimately he has a plan and he needs to build you into something better. So I want us to read this story about a man named Abraham. And I want us to look at about five things that are built by obedience. That in this story and in the life of Abraham in this one particular place, there are some things that Abraham goes through that proves to us that God is building something in and through our obedience. And I think the exact same things that God was building into Abraham, he'll build into you and into me when we're obedient to the scripture. We find Abraham in Genesis chapter number 22. God's about to tell him to do something with his son. But to give you some background, God made Abraham a promise that he would make him a great nation. You're going to have a family that outnumbers the stars. And I'm going to bless your entire family. And then actually, I'm going to bless the entire world through your family. And then this is actually where you and I received that same promise of God through Jesus. But it started with this promise that God made Abraham about his family. 
The issue with this promise that God made Abraham is that when he made him this promise about a family, Abraham didn't have children yet. And his wife was 75. Now, some of you know we're near 75, and there's no way you're having another kid right now. You're saying, hey, I'm not going back into the diaper stage. I refuse to do it. But here's Abraham saying, God, I believe that you can do that in my life. And so he goes on this journey. Eventually, Abraham receives his son, the son of promise, he and his wife, Sarah. And then we jump into Genesis chapter 22, verse number one and two. And look at what God asked Abraham to do. Sometime later, God tested Abraham's faith. Everybody say the word tested. And God called. Yes, he replied. Here I am. And God said to Abraham, take your son your only son. I know what you're thinking. Yes, Isaac, whom you love so much. And go to the land of Moriah. Go and sacrifice him as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, which I will show you. And I can imagine Abraham is thinking, here we go. God asking me to give up something. Just like I knew God, God asking me to, to give up another thing that I love. And if you could put yourself in Abraham's shoes for a minute, not in terms of sacrificing your child, although if you be honest with me, that oldest one, if they disrespect you one more time, you wouldn't mind the Lord asking you. Say, Lord, if you need me to take them out for your glory, I will, do, I will be obedient to what you say, Lord. Just give me the word. Not in that way. The Lord is not asking you to do that. Trust me. Let me speak prophetically into your life right now. Lord, not asking you to sacrifice your kid. But put yourself in Abraham's shoes, and the Lord is asking you to give up something, something that you kind of enjoy. And maybe that's in terms of your obedience. But I want you to know, we're going to read the rest of the story, that there are some things that are built as Abraham goes through the process of obeying God. And I think the first thing that you're filling the blank down there is the first thing that God builds into Abraham through his obedience is humility. He builds humility into Abraham. Because here's what happens. After some time passed, God shows up and he interrupts Abraham's life. And there's an interruption. And when God speaks, Abraham answers. He says, Abraham, and Abraham says, here I am. Yes. And in the process of responding to God in that interruption, Abraham is reminded of this, that he is not God, that he is not the one that makes the decisions, that he is not the one that gets to interrupt, that he is not the one that gets to make the call. And the truth is that your life and my life sometimes get interrupted like that. It doesn't always happen with God speaking audibly in our life. Sometimes it does, but sometimes it happens on a Sunday morning when you're in church and the preacher says something that, that aligns with something that you've been struggling with. And immediately God is interrupting you in that moment. And here's what you have to wrestle with when you feel the Lord pulling you to do something. You have to answer the question, do I feel like I am submitted to God, like I ultimately give God control, or do I ultimately feel like I know what's best and thus I I can decide whether or not to obey God in this moment. And that's what humility is. As a matter of fact, here's your next filling in the blank. Obedience reminds us that we are not in control. Pastor Juan Carlos taught us this last week, but when you and I have a true submission to God, when you and I truly are obedient to God, it reminds us that everything we have belongs to God. And the good thing about us not being in control is that we can ultimately trust God to make the decisions in our life. 
But sometimes we need to be reminded. Let me tell you, many of the sins that you struggle with right now and that I struggle with right now are really a result of our pride and really a result of us not realizing our position in relation to God. As a matter of fact, this is the exact same sin struggle that Adam and Eve struggled with, that God put them in the midst of the garden and he gave them this task. Hey, I want you to rule and subdue it. You can have all of this authority, but the one thing I don't want you to do is eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. What God is saying is at any given moment, I want you to always recognize that you submit to God. You are not God. And what does Satan show up and do? He says, hey, God wants to keep something from you. God is taking this away from you. God doesn't want you to have it because he knows that in the moment you do, you won't have to answer to God. You will be like God. And your sin and my sin and your disobedience and my disobedience is really deep down that exact same sin struggle. Here's what happens. You hear the Bible talks about how when somebody offends you, you should go first, that you should pursue reconciliation, that you should be the one that tries to go mend the relationship and that you should be the one to initiate as the believer. But what do you do? You say, God, that doesn't make any sense. They hurt me. Well, why would I go to them when they've hurt me? So that doesn't make sense. And in that moment, you decide, God, you don't know what's best. That's unrealistic. There's no way I'm pursuing reconciliation with somebody who hurt me. And you start to think, and I start to think, I no longer have to submit to God. I can be like God. I can redefine the rule. God, there is no way that you want me to live and marry somebody and be with them for the next 50, 60, 70 years if I can't try it out first. I don't need to submit to God. I really can make the decision. I can become like God. God, you have these rules about, God, you have these standards about how I should live, how I should behave, how I should act, how I should treat. But those things don't really make sense to me. God, I don't need to submit to God. I really think that I can be like God. And when you and I are diligent to be obedient to the word of the Lord, it builds a humility into our lives. And what we will realize is that the more we submit and the more we become obedient, the easier it is to become obedient because we understand our position and place in relationship to the king of the universe. And so the first thing that the Lord is doing when he's asking you to be obedient, the first thing he's building into you is humility. And he needs to build that into you and he needs to build that into me. The first thing is humility. The second thing that I think the Lord builds in the Abraham's life that I think he wants to build into your life and in my life when we're being obedient is calling. He wants to build calling into your life. Pastor Xavier showed me it in the scripture. Uh, God says in the, uh, or in the original uh, verse here, verse two, it says, take your son, yes, Isaac, whom you love so much, go and sacrifice him as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, which I will show you. So God doesn't tell Abraham, hey, go to this particular mountain. It's going to be about this many ways away. It's going to be, he says, go to this land, go to the land of Moriah. And when you get there, I'm going to show you which mountain to go up. And then I'll tell you where to sacrifice your son when you get there, which means this was not Abraham saying, okay, all right, God, I heard you. I'm gonna go sacrifice my son. I can walk away and not listen to you anymore. This is Abraham having to, along the way, say, God, what is my next step? God, where is my next direction? God, what do I do now? And this is what happens when you and I are obedient to God. God starts to reveal the path that we should take. And he starts to develop purpose and calling in our life. And the truth is that all of us pursue purpose and calling. 
All of us wanna know why the Lord put us here. It's something that you start wondering about from the time you're 16 and you can start picking your career all the way to the end of your life when you're done and the kids are gone and you're retiring. You start to ask the question, God, what is my purpose here? What am I supposed to be doing? And I'm telling you that you only discover that calling. You only discover that purpose. You only discover that path when you are true to be obedient to what the Lord has said. We would love if the Lord gave us the ending at the beginning, but that's not what happens. Oftentimes, the Lord asks us to take a step of obedience, and then he reveals the next part of our path. Here's your fill in the blank. We want the final destination, but God often only gives the next step. It would be great, and I mean absolutely phenomenal, if God would have told Abraham what he was going to do at the end of the story. You and I will keep reading, but we'll find out at the end of the story that Abraham goes up this mountain. He's prepared to sacrifice his son. And in the middle, God shows up and says, stop, wait, you don't have to sacrifice him. If you look over there, there's a ram in the bush. There's a sacrifice waiting for you. I want you to make this exchange. And he never has to sacrifice his son in the first place. It would be great for Abraham if he didn't have to spend the next three days wrestling with losing his son. It would be great if God just told Abraham, hey, don't worry about it. I know you're nervous, but when you get there, I got you. But that's not what happens. He allows Abraham to go through this process and he reveals the plan at the end. And I need you to understand in your life right now that the Lord is simply asking you to be obedient. You never know what the Lord's plan is at the end. But if you are true to be obedient, then the Lord will develop your calling as you go. Some of you are asking right now, God, I don't know which job I need to do. I don't, need to, I don't know what I need to do here. I don't know what I need to do there. But there's all of these things that, you're been, that you've been being disobedient to in your life. And you're asking the Lord, give me guidance, give me guidance. And the Lord is like, I gave you a whole book. Start taking that step. Then I'll reveal the next step. I'm not giving you the whole plan. I'm not giving you the destination. Take the step I asked you to take and then watch me reveal the plan to you. And when you and I are diligent to do that, there is covering in that. Imagine if Abraham doesn't listen to God. He doesn't follow the path and he never ends up on the right mountain because he just blocks God out because he's so focused on how hard his life is and I don't wanna listen to God anymore. I wanna do it my way. If I gotta do it, I'm gonna do it my way. And he ends up on the wrong mountain and thus the sacrifice is not there when he arrives. His life is completely different. And you and I cause ourselves a lot of undue pain by trying to do things outside of the way that God has asked us to do them. You cause yourself undue pain by doing them outside of the way that God has asked you to do them. Oh my goodness, I have no time for this, but I feel like I need to say this. Let me talk to a single woman in the room right now. You're trying to figure out why in the world the Lord uh, will not, you're like, hey God, I, I think I love this man. I think I want to be with this man, but he just doesn't want to wait in, until marriage to have sex and all of those things, God, but I think he might be the one. He loves you, blah, 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 all of those things. And let me tell you what you're doing by skipping that step and being disobedient. You are about to marry a man who you have no proof that he can submit to what the scripture says. So you marry him. He starts mistreating you. Somebody comes and says, hey, man, you need to love your wife unconditionally. You have no proof that he will submit to the word of the Lord. Why? Because you've never seen him do it. And now undo pain because you just wouldn't simply be obedient to what the Lord said. I wish, we could, I wish you could talk to somebody else in the room who says, hey, yeah, I've been there. I've been in a lot of pain because I just didn't do what the Lord said the first time. 
And you and I, when we are obedient to the Lord, there is a covering. It doesn't mean that there isn't pain in my life, but what it does mean is that I can trust the pain is there to make me better. I can trust that the Lord allow. I don't have to wonder, God, if I would have made this decision. When I'm obedient to the Lord, there's a covering and a provision in my obedience. You're uncomfortable. We're going to keep moving. We're going to keep moving. We're going to keep moving. Number three, you thought you were uncomfortable before. Just wait till the rest of the sermon. Number three, number three. I'm uncomfortable, by the way. It's not just you. Number three that's built in our obedience. This one's really tough. Is our family is actually built by our obedience. Our family's faith is built and increased by our obedience. In Genesis chapter 22, verse seven, they'll probably put it on the screen, but I just wanna show you kind of how I think it happened, right? That they're walking up and Isaac and his dad, Abraham, are walking up this mountain. It's a three-day journey. So they start walking and somewhere along the way, Isaac's carrying all of this stuff and he's, he's looking around and he says, dad, I got the wood, you have the fire, um, where, where's, the, where's the sacrifice? Where, where's the goat? And, and I can imagine if I'm Isaac, I'm thinking, God, I'm thinking, Dad, I'm not walking three days back to the house to go get it. So if you forgot it, it is on you. You will walk back down this mountain the long way, and I will wait for you up here with the fire. I'll make sure the wood don't blow away. And Abraham responds to his son in this moment, and he says, son, don't worry. God will provide. And Abraham starts going through the process of sacrificing his son. And his son is laying on this altar. And he's like, hey, is this really going to be what's going to happen? And imagine what it does for Isaac's faith when he sees God interrupt. He saw his dad try God. And he saw God come through. And so now for the rest of his life, he has an example of obedience. And he's seen God work in the midst of obedience. And thus his obedience becomes easier. And I'm telling you right now that your children, your family, they are watching you. They are watching your decisions. Your friends, they are watching your decisions, how you follow God. And how you follow God is having a divine impact on the faith of your family. And how you are obedient to God is having a divine impact on the faith of your family. Let me give it to you how I wrote it. Obedience demonstrates to our children that God is worth following. Obedience demonstrates, not, not says it, because you can say a lot. You can say, my son already disobeys what I says, and he, he only eight months old. And so you can say a lot to your children. But when you demonstrate that God is worth following, it does something different inside of their hearts. You know people right now. I'm telling you, you know people. This ain't, this ain't your family. This ain't your friends. It's not you. It's, them, it's those people. You know people right now, right? They say they don't want anything to do with church. They don't want to come to church. They don't want to talk to a pastor. They don't want to talk to a preacher. They don't want to hear a sermon. They don't want to hear no worship music. They don't want anything to do with a church building. Why? And they say, because growing up, I saw my mom and dad go to church on Sunday and then live however they wanted Monday through Saturday. So what did they ultimately decide in their hearts? That a God that is not worth obeying is not worth following. And so they leave church forever. Because they looked at your life and said, that God, if he's not good enough to obey, he's not worth my time. So they start looking for a God that is. They start looking for somebody who's worth obeying and worth following. This is why people say, hey, I don't want to come to church. There's too many hypocrites in there. Side note, let me address them. That's a horrible excuse, by the way, because nobody stops going to the gym because there's a bunch of out of shape people in there. (laughs) Nobody, nobody. I've been there all the time. 
out of shape. Then you don't be like, I'm never going with him again. He's out of shape. You don't do that. Horrible excuse. Side note for us believers, but we don't want to perpetuate the excuse. And here's what happens when you make decisions to go around what the word of the Lord says. Your children watch you and they think that they can do the same thing. So here's what happens. Oh my goodness. A few weeks ago, Pastor Mark stands up. He says, hey guys, we all need to follow the biblical mandate to give. Side note, we all, pastors included. I also receive a paycheck. I also have to tithe. My paycheck does not go up because I'm a pastor. Like they're like, oh, you have to give me some money back. I'll give you some more money back. That's not how it works. I work just like everybody else and I have to tithe just like everybody else. And and here's what happened. We have a biblical mandate. Pastor Mark asked, hey, 10% is the standard, the biblical standard. Your children watch you say, no. They watch you be tight-lipped. They watch you not give back to God. And they decide, I can pick and choose which parts of the Bible to follow because you do too. And now they're getting older and you don't want them to live with somebody yet or you want them to make a god oriented decision. You want them to do this. Why would they do that if they watch you do the exact opposite your entire life? Why would they follow a God? You have chosen to show them. I have chosen to show them when I am disobedient that my God is not big enough to warrant me changing what I want to do. And who wants to follow a God that's not big enough to be obeyed? My dad, my dad was the, the, one of the best examples of a Christian man I ever met. Mind you, he wasn't a pastor. He wasn't a preacher. My dad's an extreme introvert. Most people have told me, I, I've never heard your dad say a single word very soft-spoken. He's never stood up on a stage and preached. I've never seen him go in front of the church and pray out loud. I've never seen him lead a Bible study. I've never seen him do any of that stuff. He's an HVAC contractor, blue-collar guy, but he was just a solid believer, a solid Christian. And I remember my father got remarried uh, after he and my mom split. And uh, I remember we were older. I was probably maybe 12 at the time. And my my brothers were a little older than me. And my stepmom came around. We all just butted heads, as you can imagine. There was a lot of tension there. And it boiled up so much to the point that my brothers and I thought he should choose. And we're like, Dad, why won't you just leave? Like, why don't you just send her back to Louisiana or wherever it is she came from? We've been here 12, 14, 15 years. She just got here. Just send her away. Our life was fine before she got here. It'll be fine when she's gone because of all the tension that was going on. And my dad set us down and he says, son, you don't want me to do that because biblically, if I had to choose, I made a covenant before God. And if I had to choose, the scripture would tell me I would have to choose her over you. It broke me as a boy but it built me as a man because I said any God that my, my dad, my father trust enough to make a hard decision like that is worth following. If it's worth him being obedient to, it's worth me being obedient to. If I can watch my dad submit, then certainly I can submit. And the truth is that you get a chance to make the same decision right now. Maybe you're in the room, you're like, man, my kids are 18, 20, or they're about to be gone from the house, and I've just been disobedient my whole life. What would it mean for them to see you change, to see you submit? You say, oh my goodness, the Lord is real because I've watched you struggle with this thing for 18, 20 years, and now I see you making this type of effort. So it's never too late to start obeying the Lord. And regardless of the age your kids is or the stage they are, that when you and I are diligent to be obedient to God, our family reaps the reward. Number four, number four, that's built by your and my obedience is the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God 
is built in your and my obedience. I told you that for Abraham, we get this promise through Jesus Christ that started with Abraham. But it's in Abraham's obedience. It was not because of his obedience, by the way. Just like your spot in heaven is not because of your obedience. It's like because you get everything right is not why you get a chance to have a relationship with God. God chooses you. You have a relationship with God. And then your obedience is just a response. God, because I'm grateful that you've promised me a spot in heaven through Jesus Christ. Now I want to live the way that you want me to live. And and so Abraham starts being obedient to God. And through Abraham and through all of that obedience and through his faith, God blesses me, you. We're still talking about Abraham here in the New Testament. We're talking about, they're, they're, they're talking about Abraham in the New Testament. We are talking about Abraham right now, all these years later. Why? Because the kingdom of God is built when you and I are are diligent to be obedient. And here's your fill in the blank. God's plan is bigger than you. It's bigger than your family. There are people right now waiting on your obedience that God wants to do something in their life and he wants to do it through you. But because of your disobedience and my disobedience, oftentimes people miss out on what God wants to do in their life because we are not aligned. People bring up to me all the time, man, Christianity doesn't seem fair because what about all the people across the world who might not ever get a chance to hear the gospel? And then you know what I tell them? You know why they'll never get a chance to hear it? Because you and I won't tell them. Because God's counting on me. He's counting on you to spread the gospel. And to be clear, God is not counting on me just to spread the gospel in this room and from this stage. God has a burden on me, just like he does for all of us, to talk to our neighbors and to get to know their stories and maybe one day invite them to church and introduce them to the gospel because his plan is bigger than you. It's about the kingdom. And you have a gift to the kingdom that in your obedience, the Lord will use it to build. And you could not imagine what he wants to do through your impact. And you could not imagine what he wants to do through your obedience through your service, through you being in children's ministry, through you being in student ministry, through you greeting, through you helping in sound, through you helping in tech and AV, through you telling your neighbors, to you being nice to your boss, to you being nice to your coworkers, to you forgiving that family member. You never know what the Lord wants to do in the kingdom through your one simple act of obedience. Number five, and we're we're getting out of here. The fifth thing that's built by our obedience is our faith. Remember in the beginning of this scripture, it said God tested Abraham's faith. God wasn't testing Abraham's discipline. He wasn't testing his, he wasn't testing his strength, wasn't testing his mental fortitude to be able to trudge on. He was testing his faith. Abraham, how much do you believe what I've promised you? And the truth is that when you and I are obedient, it builds our faith. I want to show you, as a matter of fact, in Hebrews 11, verse 8, it says this. It says, it was by faith that Abraham obeyed. And then skip down to verse 17. It says, it was by faith that Abraham offered Isaac as a sacrifice when God was testing him. Abraham, who had received God's promise, was ready to sacrifice his only son, Isaac. Even though God had told him, Isaac is the son through whom your descendants will be counted. Here's how much Abraham trusted God. Verse 19, Abraham reasoned that if Isaac died, God was able to bring him back to life again. And in a sense, Abraham did receive his son back from the dead. And here's your fill in the blank. Faith is built brick by brick. 
I want to show you, I always love seeing how the Bible is connected. The Bible says faith come by hearing and hearing by the word of God. But then the Bible also tells us that you shouldn't be hearers, but doers also, which means that faith comes by hearing and applying the word of God, which means that the more I hear the word and the more that I apply the word, the more my faith is built in God. And I told you my dad was a contractor. And so I I think about faith kind of like this. And so what happens is at some point in your life and in my life, here's what happens. You're younger and maybe you go to church, maybe your parents come to church and you see God do something for somebody else. And you're like, man, maybe that God is worth following. And there's this little foundation being built. And then you pray one time and you see God do something. And then you watch your parents pray and you see God do something. Or maybe this started later when you were in college and you didn't have enough money to get done what you needed to get done, but the Lord provided anyway. Or or maybe it happened when you, all of these things start happening. It builds this little foundation of faith for you. And then eventually you come to accept and know Jesus Christ in your life. And this is your foundation of faith that has been built. But then the Lord starts showing you scriptures. He starts revealing ways for you and I to be obedient. And that obedience is difficult. And so you say, Lord, I'm going to try you in this because you said that if I come to you, you will give me rest. And so, Lord, I don't need to depend on pornography. I don't need to depend on alcohol or drugs or, or pride or money or anything like that to find rest. I need to find rest in you. And so I'm going to be faithful to what you said. And what happens? is that your brick of obedience starts building your faith. And then you say, God, I know you told me not to focus on what my wife or husband does or doesn't do. You want me to focus on being the best spouse that I can be. And I build another brick of obedience. And then you say, God, I know you want me to give and be generous. And you build another brick of obedience. And then you say, God, you want me to apply those same principles to my business. And so, you know what? I'm going to build another brick of obedience. And then you say, God, you want me to forgive. You don't want me to hold grudges. And even though that's difficult, God, and it's a heavy lift, I'm going to build another brick of obedience. And my obedience brick by brick builds my faith. Pastor Xavier, why do I want to build my faith? Because if you remember in Ephesians, Paul says when he's talking about the armor of God, above all else, take up the shield of faith so that you may be able to withstand the fiery darts of the enemy, which means that when, the, when Satan is attacking me and when life is going crazy, what I need to have is a shield and a foundation of faith. And that faith is built when I am diligent to be obedient to what God says, which means that if there are moments where I'm struggling to trust God and where I'm too shaken and my anxiety is through the roof and I say, God, I don't know how I can trust you. I don't know how I can do this thing in my life. It is because I have not built the bricks of faith by trying God at his word. And so when I am diligent to try God, I will realize that is why it seems in the moments people with the most faith ask them, hey, your life is falling apart. How in the world are you still going? Because brick by brick, moment by moment, I've tried and trusted God and I've seen that he can stand strong. Big brick by brick, I saw that when I was diligent to do what God said, God was diligent to do what he said he would do. And brick by brick, I built the foundation I needed. And so when life fell apart, I had something to stand on. Let's pray. Father God, can you remind us 
that oftentimes obedience brings us to our knees and that oftentimes, God, obedience is hard. God, in doing what you ask us to do is difficult. Sometimes, God, it feels like you're just asking us to give up a bunch of things and to make a bunch of sacrifices. But the truth is, God, you just want to use our obedience to build us. God, you know what's best for us. And so you want to use our obedience to build our families. You want to use our obedience to build the kingdom. God, you want to use our obedience to build our faith. God, you want to use our obedience to build our humility. God, you want to use our obedience to build us. God, so thank you for every opportunity to give your name glory. Thank you for every choice. Thank you for every chance. God, we're just grateful because without you, we could do nothing. But with you, we can do everything. God, thank you for a way to protect ourselves against the final fiery darts of the enemy. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Everybody together say it. Amen. Come on, let's clap our hands.